By the time I'm 28 years old, I'd pursued every dead end and found all of them to be, you know, uh, horrific. I just, I, I'd hated them. And then someone explained to me, and it must have been, mate, uh, for the 20 millionth time, someone explained to me who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And at that moment, God uh, revealed to me the truth that Jesus Christ died for sinners, of which I was the worst. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef, and each week we're going to tackle your tough issues, your hard questions, and we're going to take a candid look at the Christian faith. When was the last time you shared Christ with someone? It could be scary stepping out of your comfort zone. What if you mess up? What if you can't answer the questions that this person has? What if you're rejected? On the other hand, what if this is the first time they are truly hearing the gospel? What if they decide to give their life to Christ? What if you miss out on the blessing of sharing God's love? This week's free download, Build Up Your Boldness, will give you eight practical principles for effective evangelism that will both encourage you and help you boldly share the gospel with those who God puts in your path. So head over to ltw.org slash candid to get your free download. I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest. We've known each other for years through our fathers, and we've recently spent time together while I was living in Australia, and he has been such an encouragement to me personally, and I now consider him a very dear friend. Today, we welcome Dave Jensen to Candid Conversations. Dave has a compelling testimony, and he has a heart for sharing Christ with the next generation. He has worked in Sydney, Australia as a school pastor, and he currently lives with his family in Belfast, Ireland, where he serves as the congregational pastor at Community Church Belfast. I'm so grateful to sit down with him today, despite the 4,000-mile distance between us. Dave, thank you for joining us on Candid through Skype. I know it's late over there, so we appreciate you staying up to talk with us. Welcome. Hello, Jonathan. Great to see you, brother. The way we know each other is I think your dad was like a, a student teacher at Moore College where both of our fathers studied. And uh, that was sort of the initial connection. And then when I came to work in Sydney, you came and spoke at a, at a youth conference, a youth uh, night and then we connected, and I had always heard your name growing up, uh, or at least your dad's name, and then heard your name sort of later on. And then we got connected through my church, and then we sort of stayed in touch, and then we had kids around the same uh, time frame. And so it's been a great friendship to have with you. Mate, uh, can I say, uh, I remember um, as a child, uh, in my teenage years, my father would always have these books from these, this mysterious Michael Yusuf, you know, and, and he would give me these books. This is years before I was a Christian, but I always knew the name Michael Yusuf. Um, Dad would speak of him with so much fondness, and I loved his books, you know. But when I was converted, uh, one of the, the first things that happened was uh, your father came and did a rally in Sydney, and I went along. I didn't get to meet him. I didn't uh, queue up to meet him. The queue was very long, but... From afar, he's been a significant part of my spiritual journey. So uh, being mates with you, mate, uh, has just been terrific, and I praise God for it. Amen. Well, now that you sort of stepped into that uh, that story, tell us a little bit about growing up for you. 
your dad is obviously a prominent uh, Christian leader, uh, not just in Australia, but even internationally. Uh, tell us a little bit about your story and how that all kind of comes together. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as you say, my, my dad, Peter, uh, was a seminary principal, you know, the, the, the head, the dean, I suppose, of a seminary in, in Sydney um, where your father studied. Uh, he later became the, the Anglican Archbishop and the Anglican Church in Sydney is a Bible-believing, you know, gospel church. And um, so dad was a prominent uh, Christian man, but like many um, PKs, pastors, kids, um, for me, uh, my faith was always at an arm's length distance. Um, I never inherited it because that's impossible. Uh, and so as a young man, brother, I went down every dead end available uh, to a young man trying to find meaning and satisfaction in life outside of Jesus. And uh, in my late teens, I, early 20s, I got a girl pregnant and I got married, uh, had another child and divorced. And around that time, uh, I was desperate for employment. So I joined the Australian Army and I was an army officer uh, for the best part of a decade. Um, so I found myself, you know, mid-20s, divorced, um, Christian family, and with my own personal belief in the facts of the gospel, but no real understanding of what it meant. By the time I'm 28 years old, I'd pursued every dead end and found all of them to be, you know, uh, horrific. I just, I, I'd hated them. And then someone explained to me, and it must have been, mate, uh, for the 20 millionth time, someone explained to me who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And at that moment, the Apostle Paul in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he speaks about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. And at that moment, God uh, revealed to me the truth that Jesus Christ died for sinners, of which I was the worst. And so I became a Christian. I repented and put my faith in Jesus in a barracks room uh, near my infantry battalion. And that was just over 10 years ago, nearly almost 10 years ago to the day. And so, brother, since the time God has been so kind to me, I, I became a Christian, joined a church, I met my beautiful wife, Sammy, and we've got three little boys as well. So that's, uh, I suppose, my story. And not long after that, I've been a Christian for four or five years, and um, I was telling everyone I knew about Jesus. So I got into the ministry, and uh, it's the greatest privilege of my life to, to tell people about Jesus. Yeah, and, and in that walking into ministry, what are, what are some of the roles that you've taken on? Um, you know, you've had such a an impactful testimony. Now we, uh, you and I would both agree everybody's testimony is impactful, Yeah. but you know, yours in the worldly sense, it carries a lot of weight. You've kind of used that to your advantage in some sense, uh, in your different roles. What are some of those roles that you've kind of walked out? Mm -hmm. That's right. I think the minute I became a Christian and God also gifted me with a burden for non-Christians I know how terrible life is outside of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not life at all. It's spiritual death. And so whilst I didn't have the capability and competence as an evangelist, I had the burden and the passion. I was very, very fortunate, blessed to uh, get into youth ministry. So I worked at a high school, a Christian high school in Sydney was my first role. Uh, and that was just evangelism 24-7. It was a boarding school. I lived on campus. Thousands of students, you have permission to talk to them, you know. So Australia, as you know, brother, is a secular country. Um, so it's a Christian high school, but the vast majority of students and staff would not um, know Jesus. So huge opportunities there. And after that, really, my passion for evangelism continued to grow. I was employed at a church, really, as the evangelism pastor at a big church in Sydney in a very working class, multicultural suburb. So dealing with a lot of people from uh, Hindu, Muslim, um, all types of backgrounds from people from all over the world. And to be able to see Jesus uh, transform lives, regardless of skin color, uh, background, creed, anything, uh, bring him to himself has been amazing. So predominantly, uh, yeah, an evangelism ministry, 
And certainly that's what's led me to Belfast. So my role here, I pastor the uni church, but my official role at church is the church evangelist. I mean, I'm here really to to not just evangelize myself, but to train and equip the whole church to be the active service of witnessing the Lord Jesus to the people they know. Um, and I've got to be honest, uh, I've got the best job in the world. Don't tell anyone else about it. I mean, I don't want any. You know, it's just so good. No competition. Um, it's an amazing well, and for, for our non-Australian uh, listeners, uni is short for university. So you're you're close to the university. Oh. That's your primary field of ministry. Uh, I want to focus particularly on that sort of millennial generation, that where you are now, but even f- further out from uh, your time in, in, at some of the other churches in Sydney. You know, what are some of the difficult questions that come your way? What are some of the, you know, you talked about people from a lot of different faith backgrounds, people who were at Christian schools with, you know, probably even grew up in a Christian home. But what, what were some of the challenges that they, uh, the questions that they came at with you, to you? Yeah. Um, so there's a, a commonality between uh, all the questions. Uh, listen, uh, at the moment, certainly dealing with uh, college and university students, um, the big issues are the topical ethical issues of the day, of whether that be uh, homosexuality, abortion, uh, onto um, things like global warming, evolution. Certainly in Sydney, when I was dealing in a working class community, uh, there was more questions about poverty and suffering. Um, but what I've been able to ascertain and through the wisdom of, of elder saints um, over the years as well is actually uh, all of these people are asking the same question. It's the exact same question. They're just shouting it in a different way, not to deliberately be a red herring, but because that's what they're doing. And the big question is, why am I here? What's the meaning of my existence? And it doesn't take long, even in a question about something as topical as homosexuality or abortion, to just press in a, a little bit with a few uh, you know, questions back and realize what, what people are actually seeking is what's been hardwired within all of us to seek, which is the meaning of my existence you know why am i here what's it all about um am i worth anything do i have intrinsic value or am i just meaningless substance here for a short time so it's it's been interesting brother to see that no matter what no matter where no matter with who no matter what background uh, the human condition is the same uh, spiritual blindness spiritual death um rejection of god now that is bad news but the amazing news is that the cure, the solution, is the same for all people. Mm. Um, and so what we want to do in all of these tough questions is seek a way uh, to, to lead those questions towards an opportunity to tell them the gospel, the, the truth about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I firmly believe the gospel is the answer to all those questions. You've just got to be quite nuanced and work out with wisdom how best to, how best to approach those things. You know, obviously the core fear is the fear that I don't actually have any meaning. My life has no purpose and meaning. Uh, it's sort of the Richard Dawkins, you know, uh-huh. baseline. Um, what are some of the ways that that fear is expressed? Uh, what are some of the ways that you hear people, you know, like you said, there's a core issue at the very back, but sometimes all we hear is some of the, the concerns and the fears that are coming out. And those come out in the forms of questions, usually, why is this this way? And so what are some of those fears that you're seeing coming out from the hearts of people? 
I think, brother, um, predominantly with the millennial generation and even younger that I, I deal with now, um, most of those fears come out in the form of objection and almost hostility. So a, a very confrontational, um, who are you to tell me uh, what life is about? Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to have any moral grounding or, or standing at all? And so if we're engaging with someone uh, who's come through our church or we're, you know, in some way or another, we, we've managed to engage with a student or older or younger, the biggest fear that comes back is the underlying question of existence. And that might be come out of you know, something like, well, if you tell me there is a meaning of my existence, that's the most terrifying truth of all time, because that means I will be held accountable. Not only that, that means there is a right and wrong. And from childhood, particularly millennials, brother, you know, we need to understand that from childhood, uh, the baby boomers and, and those have done a great disservice uh, to the millennials and the younger ones because they have bred them. And we've, we've constantly heard there is no meaning, there is no right and wrong. Morality is completely subjective. And so the fear that I hear more than anything is that, hold on, if you say there is something more, then that means I will be held into account. There will be a right and wrong. Um, and that's why a lot of their objections can feel confrontational. The question of sexuality, for example, there's a very accusatory tone. You are bigots. You think this. You've said that. How could you hold a position like this? And so it's there at the heart of that that we as, as Christian people have a wonderful opportunity to just gently nudge and press in and try and get them to reveal the source of their objections. You know, so if someone says to me, well, you can't possibly say what you say about um, human sexuality. Who are you to hold this opinion on human sexuality? Rather than getting in a conflict or an argument, I don't want to do that. I want to ask them where their perspective comes from. Uh, well, I go, well, what do you think? Why do you think what you think? What grounding do you have to think that? And very quickly, what you begin to see is their positions unravel. Because without a creator God, None of us have any immorality. None of us have uh, uh, any granting for our positions. So there, there's opportunities in the fear, but I'd certainly say that was the main fear, the, the fear of a higher power driving all of it. In Christian ministry, you're walking with people through, uh, you know, almost not necessarily to finish, but from start to along that journey. What are some of the things along that path that can detract people. I, I call them defeaters of the faith. What What are some of the things? So they've they've listened to you. They've they've responded with their objections, uh, but then they begin to receive what you're saying, and now they're, you know, I would say that's probably the most vulnerable time is when a person is just beginning to put their faith in Christ, and mm. then the world sometimes can begin to scream at them. And almost in the way that they used to scream at Christians and whatever it is. And so then it's, they have those moments of, of fear and doubt. What are some of those uh, defeater things that, that you have seen come along for the younger generation? Oh, brother, I, I think um, by far and away, the, the two most prominent ones, that's a wonderful question. The, the two most prominent are defeaters that come in and drag people. The first one uh, is the concept of community. And so what you're saying to someone uh, when they come and they, they put their faith in Christ or they're considering putting their faith in Christ and you'll really get into the position where they're going to believe the gospel and repent and believe is you're trying to say to them, listen, uh, brother, this isn't a, or sister, this isn't a one-off, one deal 
uh, and then you forget it. This is your entire life. You know, you're actually, you're, you're going to become part of something much bigger than that. And it's at those moments, and it could be through um, the lure of a, a friendship circle, uh, criticism of a family member, uh, you know, uh, uh, the pressure of external influence, um, that people can really start to feel that pressure. And that is why church uh, is such a crucial part of our Christian life. You know, when I became a Christian, I loved coming to church, and I haven't stopped loving, but not because I'm so strong, because I'm so weak, and I need that community. You know, I need, God knows we need it. Um, he gathers us together as his people, and that's what we'll be doing forever in heaven. So the lure of the external community can really bring people away. And then I think more that, well, equal to that would just be the sinful nature, um, the desire from within uh, to draw us back to the to the old way of living, like a like a dog to its vomit, you know. So uh, whether that be an issue with sexuality, whether that be an issue with even pride or arrogance, whatever it is, uh, there's that lure back of saying, "My goodness, am I really willing to see this crucified with Christ? Am I really willing to crucify my uh, my my ha- sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend? Am I really willing to crucify my pride, my arrogance, my ambition?" And helping people realize that what Christ is is demanding of them is not nothing. This isn't a hand up in an event and then that's it for the rest of your life. Christ is demanding everything. He's calling you to leave everything and follow him. Man, that can terrify people. But uh, there's no two ways around it. You know, there's no other way to do it. And so making sure that you have, I think, as an evangelist, be part of a church or a community, a network where you can plug people in immediately um, to experience that unique love of the Christian family is so crucial. What are you seeing there in Belfast? What's what's sort of the trajectory? You've been there for almost two years now. Uh-huh. What have you been seeing uh, in that trajectory in those you know two years is a short period of time. I mean, I was only in Sydney for three, but what are some of those things that you're seeing transform that community? Uh, you mean transform negatively or, or uh, sort of gospel transformation? Well, Both, I meant yeah. gospel transformation, but that's a good point, too, because you know, there'll be some yeah. pushback, too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, um, here, here's the reality of Belfast. Just like um, probably many parts in the United States, um, Northern Ireland is the most religious country, uh, the most evangelical country in Europe. So the rate of church attendance within this country is the highest in Europe, uh, and it always has been. The, the Christian community is incredibly populous and, and loyal in church attendance. However, that's not all good news because within that, of course, breeds uh, what we call nominalism, or I suppose um, a traditional going along to church, just ticking a box, a spiritual box. Um, now, what we're seeing in Belfast is Belfast is catching up to the rest of the United Kingdom and the rest of the Europe in becoming more and more secular, and that means that old-school Sort of form of traditional church attendance is dropping off and church attendance is, is getting lower and lower and lower. Uh, we're seeing that across the society. Northern Ireland is a country where same-sex marriage is illegal, abortion is illegal, um, many of the shops are still shut on Sundays. It's a, it's a, it's a very traditionally religious country, um, but that is changing and will continue to change quite rapidly. As, as you and I have seen, brother, around the world, have we not, you know, that these things happen and then it's happened and we can't go back. However, God has opened so many doors throughout this um, for authentic, genuine gospel opportunity in not just a traditionally evangelical community, but also here within the Catholic community, 
um, and even the non-evangelical uh, Christian or non-Christian community. Because for the first time, people are realizing, hold on, I can't inherit my faith. And I might have been a Presbyterian or a Baptist or an Anglican forever and ever and ever. My parents have been that forever. But, well, am I really that? And what does it mean to be that? What does it mean for me to call myself a Christian? So what we're seeing is certainly uh, a veer away, particularly, I suppose, from the baby boomer generation, away from traditional church attendance. But we are seeing um, a continued growth uh, in younger people under the age of 30, in their teenage years, having an authentic seeking under Christ, after Christ, and authentic conversion uh, to become Christians. And so even here at our little uh, campus church, our uni church, the opportunity to see teenagers, men and women in their early 20s, postgraduates, encounter Jesus Christ for the first time for themselves and put their faith in him is enormous. And it's a privilege that we get to see time and time again here. So God is still at work in Belfast. He's opening plenty of doors. But can I just say one other point on that? One of the most dangerous things churches can do is, is then assume everyone knows the gospel because it's been a Christian country. And so that gospel assumption is deadly. Um, but churches here that realize, hold on, uh, not everyone knows the gospel. And in fact, people like me exist who heard the gospel a thousand times, heard it, but never understood it. And so just need a newfound dedication to the proclamation all the time. Yeah, You've done ministry with lots of different types of people from lots of different cultures. Do you change the way, because you mentioned earlier how you sometimes have to nuance the way you present uh, the gospel to these types of people. What are the, some of the different ways that you have to do it culturally, even regionally? Yeah. So I, I always hold to one principle, uh, which is contextualize always, never compromise. So contextualize always, never compromise. So if I'm speaking to a Sikh uh, or a Muslim or an 18-year-old, Protestant or whatever, um, I will never ever compromise on where I'm trying to lead this conversation, and that is to the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ for sin. That is where every conversation has to be going evangelistically, uh, not to an outcome of the gospel that God loves you or do you want to go to heaven, but the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, there is no other way around it. Never compromise. But when it comes to contextualization, I, I think contextualization, which is amending um, how you present things, depending on the cultural context, I believe that's crucial. And so for us, for example, in a, in a working class, a multi-ethnic community in Sydney, that meant we had a very high value on, on meals, for example. We would do a lot of church lunches, having people over, because a lot of our multi-ethnic communities highly value hospitality. And that would be very easy for them to bring their family members along and to hear things and to integrate with a Christian community and to be invited to hear the gospel proclaimed. Here in Northern Ireland with a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds, that hospitality thing is far less uh, valued. In fact, they're very private and personal people than Northern Irish. But what they have a huge value for is the, the concept of genuine, authentic community done through socializing, not around meals, but by spending time with one another, doing things together, not around a dinner table, but going to the football or going to the movies or doing these kind of things. What we want to do is constantly be asking ourselves, am I putting hurdles in the way of this person hearing the gospel? Is the way that we're doing music at church 
making it difficult for my church members to invite their friends to church? If so, let's change it. Let's change the style. Are my clothes making it more difficult for the local people to come to church and feel comfortable? If so, I'm changing what I'm wearing. My style, the style of how we do things, that is always up in the air. We, we will change it. But what we're saying has to be vigilantly and passionately held to the, the gospel. Um, my earnest opinion is that um, the reason we don't see more fruit is not because people don't contextualize. I think people are generally quite adept at realizing that. Mm. But because often we, we, we do a Christian presentation, but we forget the punchline of a joke. You know, it's like we're telling a joke and forget to tell them the, the answer at the end of it. We want to make it very clear that we're gospel people. We hear about Jesus. We're leading towards Jesus. And, um, and that's the outcome of, of every context we're, we're working towards. We've been getting questions from uh, some of our listeners. And um, one is a question about evangelism. And the, the uh, listener asks, uh, when you're trying to show a non-believer the way to salvation, but they are adamantly opposed, how should you handle it? Do you stop sharing? And how do you pray for them? That's a wonderful question. Um, it's a wisdom question. Often, it is uh, possible to do more harm than good by constantly trying to hammer down a door which the Lord God has not yet opened. For example, if my father, a great man of God, if he looked upon me as a 21-year-old, my heart completely hardened to the gospel. And if he said to me every time I saw him, um, let me tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, David, how have you responded to the gospel? Uh, that would have completely destroyed our relationship. It would have made things impossible for us to continue. But what my dad did, uh, what my, my mother did, um, what, what I try to advise everyone in these situations to do is simple, which is never stop praying. Praying is the most you can do, not the least. It's the most you can do. What you should be praying for is for other Christian friends, other Christian influences in this person's life, maybe at work or at college or at university, uh, to a PR where uh, they can have external Christian influence outside of yourself. But then holding on to the promise of Scripture, always be ready, always be ready uh, to provide an answer for the reason, for the hope that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what that means is constantly nudging at the door, um, but never trying to hammer it down. So always being ready uh, and realizing that the only Bible many of our people in our lives will ever read is your own Christian life. And so actually displaying that to them with love and grace and mercy and never compromising the truth about Jesus, always taking the opportunity to share the truth about Jesus. However, picking your time, nudge at the door, but if it is shut, you can walk away and leave it. That's okay. God is sovereign over all things. But then instead of that, turn away, get on your knees and pray for them. Uh, and just be ready for when God, if God does open that door. Yeah, so it's, it's a wonderful question. Mm, that's beautiful. Is there anything specifically that we can be praying for you? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we would love more and more opportunities to share the gospel with the men and women of Northern Ireland. Um, there is so much gospel assumption here. There is so much uh, assumed knowledge of, of Christianity um, that even getting that open door can be a real struggle sometimes. It can be really hard because people think they know it. They think they've rejected something they know. And so what, what we're earnestly praying for for ourselves, and we would, we would just love your prayers for, are more of those open doors to challenge people, to ask people the questions such as, what do you think Christianity is all about? Why do you think Jesus died? What does it mean that Jesus died for sin? What is sin? 
these opportunities, brother, are so precious to us. And, you know, we, we would covet your prayers over these things. So, so uh, yeah, please, please pray if, if you can. Hey, that actually brings to mind a question. What do you do with someone who thinks they know it and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to make them feel shameful uh, that they don't actually know it, but you want to sort of, uh, you know, you already quoted 1 Peter three fifteen, but sort of that gentleness and respect, you want to in some ways show the contrast between a true knowledge of Christ and kind of what they have, which is probably uh, cultural or, or whatever it is. Yeah. The secret is questions. There is a terrific book by an evangelist called Randy Newman called Question in Evangelism, uh, which I highly recommend to your listeners. Uh, and in it, we understand the principle here that what you want to be doing in evangelism is not answering and not speaking constantly at someone. You want to be listening far more than you speak. So what you want to do with someone who thinks they know is ask questions. Can I give you several examples? You might say, listen, listen, I know this might be a funny question, but you know that I'm a Christian, and I know that you grew up uh, going to a church. Um, How would you define Christianity? What do you think the main message of Christianity is? And then just listening, uh, being able to really hear, because you don't just hear what they're saying, you get to begin to understand what's behind what they're saying. Another good question could be, listen, I knew you grew up going to a particular church, a denomination, or Christian school. What did they teach you about how you get to heaven? A question like that, and they reveal something like, well, you've got to be a good person, or you've got to go to church every Sunday, or you've got to do this or the other. Or, Or someone might, any number of things, but if you're responding back with questions, and you're asking and asking and asking, listening, what that does socially for us is give us permission to answer the question we've asked. You know, if, if I say to someone, hey, did you see the football on the weekend? They say, no. What do they say back? Did you? You know, this is a very natural thing. So if I ask someone, how would you define Christianity? I listen to them. I don't correct them. I don't have a fight with them. But I'll be as winsome and kind as possible and say, listen, that, that's really interesting. That's actually not what the Bible says. Can I tell you what the Bible says? I want to ask their permission. I don't want to preach at them. I want to talk with them. And 99.9% of the time, they'll say, absolutely, yes, you can tell me. Yeah, go for it. And that is your opportunity then to be prepared to tell them the truth about Jesus, um, to explain about his death and resurrection. So questions are the key and being ready to answer the question that you're asking. That really helps things as well. It's funny. It seems to be on a spectrum, doesn't it? It's sort of the uh, we either leave them alone because we assume that they know or we preach at them and shove them away but the it you know it always tends to kind of come into the center with the gentle winsome but still you know sticking to what you said earlier my doctrine remains the same the truth is still the same my methods can be uh, altered slightly here and there but yeah uh, you know I, i'm thinking of some army mates of mine brother who uh i could have a straight conversation with and say listen you know you're calling yourself a christian you're not a christian's monkey mate and there's no two ways around it let me tell you what a christian is uh, and i've seen some fruit from conversations like that can i say i would not recommend that to your <laughs> listeners it's a one percent one percent conversation but for most people they want to know that you're listening they're, that you're hearing them they're happy to talk about themselves they're happy to talk about their beliefs they just want to know you're not gonna come down on them like a ton of bricks they want to know that you're actually interested in what they think mm. and can i say this this idea that a non-Christian person truly understands the gospel, uh, that, that is not a biblical idea. If they understood the gospel, they'd be Christians. So 
It's as simple as getting them to explain it and say, what do you think it is? Oh, I see where you've gone wrong. Let me explain it. Now, I'm not promising that information will always lead to transformation, but information is generally how God does lead to transformation. So it's certainly a way forward. Well, Dave, it's always uh, such a great privilege to talk with you, and um, we'll be praying most certainly for uh, your ministry in Northern Ireland and for your family. Uh, It's been so great to uh, hear your thoughts on this really important issue because we all know people in our lives who don't yet know the gospel or uh, people that we work with or go to school with and 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 we have a real burden for them but we we don't always have the tools uh, at our disposal to uh, to do the work or to know how to respond or 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 these things and i, I think having you on has been a great encouragement and um, i hope people have appreciated it thank you so much brother it's wonderful uh, to be here and i'm so grateful for the opportunity to, to talk about jesus with you Thank you for joining us today, and a special thank you to my friend Dave Jensen for giving us his time to discuss evangelism and the vital role that it plays in our Christian walk. I know it can be hard to discern how to open the door of conversation to share Christ, but I hope today's conversation will be an encouragement to pray to God for the open door and a chance to give a reason for your faith at the proper time. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe. Don't forget to connect with us on social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit ltw.org candid to connect with these pages, share your questions with me, and get this week's free download. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Thanks for listening.